Are you ready? Well, I want to talk to you today just briefly because next week, oh, I'm excited about next week. We are starting our campaign on it's going to be so phenomenal. You do not want to miss it. And uh, next week we're starting, uh, we're going to dig into Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to look at uh, two of the greatest principles in the Word of God, one being honored, the other one being blessing. And uh, it's going to be phenomenal, so make sure that you, you be ready for that and be part of a small group and all of that. But today, I just want to encourage you. I want to talk to you about what I would term the greatest life stance, and uh, basically cheer up. Now, I personally believe this to be the greatest way to live your life, and, and I, believe if, I believe if we can personally and collectively adopt this stance of life and way of life, not only will, be, will we be much better emotionally, we would also be able to relate to one another in a much healthier way. Uh, we will see the good even when life is not what we would term as good or particularly great. We'll be able to see the good in life and not just the bad. Uh, uh, let me just make this clear. I am not talking about a problem-free life. The only problem-free people are dead ones. And hopefully there's none of them here this morning, okay? So uh, we're going to look at a lot of very familiar verses. You are very familiar with this. And, and I want to start with a verse. You've, uh, if you've been around church, uh, um, you know, you probably know this one by heart. And if you've not, then, uh, and you're just investigating faith, and maybe you're watching online and you're checking it out, that's, that's really awesome. We're really glad that you're with us. But it's a great verse. It's, it's a challenging verse, but it's also a good verse. Very well known. John 16, verse 33. Listen to what Jesus said. I have told you this so that you might have peace in your hearts because of me. While you're in the world. Somebody say, while we're in the world. Look at this. You will have to what? We don't want to quote that, right? That's not part of the verse we like. Okay, let's move on. But, watch. Cheer up. I have defeated the world. Jesus is very specific about the fact that we will face hard and challenging times, but he reminds us that we can have peace. Why? Because of him. He forewarned us, and to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And Jesus is saying that there is no need for us to be surprised about trouble and about suffering. He said that it was going to happen, so there's no need to be freaked out about it or overwhelmed about it. He said it was going to happen, so, so we know it's going to happen. Therefore, we can have peace in the midst of trouble. But Jesus says peace produces something that's, that's absolutely amazing. It's not just a calm about the difficult circumstances and situations. Through this verse, Jesus says the evidence of peace in our lives is when we experience difficulty is actually this, to possess an attitude of joy. So even when we are in a difficult situation, when we have the evidence of God's peace in our lives, the evidence of that peace is joy. Now, when I talk about joy, I'm not talking about happiness. That's not what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, Jesus does not ask us to try to be happy. He's not saying fake it till you make it. Are you with me, somebody? He's not, he's not saying put on a phony facade and, and, you know, on the outside and hope for the best. He tells us to cheer up. Say that with me. Cheer up. He is reminding us that we have a fundamental emotional need in our life. Do you know that one of your greatest fundamental emotional needs is a thing called joy? You need joy in your life. I need joy in my life. It is not just a word. It is a, it is a principle. It is a reality. It is a life stance that I so desperately need. Without joy, life is overwhelming. Without joy, life is too difficult. Without joy, life is dreary. Without joy, life is dab. Without joy, life is depressing without joy. 
And actually, it has proven that studies have actually shown that the more joy we have in our lives, the more productive we are. Is it not true that you have more energy? Come on now, somebody. More creativity, more productivity, the more joy you have in your life. As joy goes up in your life, productivity goes up in your life. As joy goes down in your life, it's the same thing. Everything else in your life begins to be down. Now, joy is about having the right life stance. And uh, if you're wondering what a life stance is, let me just give it to you. I don't know if it's in your notes if you want to fill this out or not. But a life stance is a person's overall frame of reference. That's a life stance. A person's overall frame of reference, a set of attitudes, assumptions, uh, and expectations people hold about themselves, about other people, about life. The product of a life stance is that overall general consistent and stable way people look at things. Uh, Whether they tend to be optimistic, pessimistic, cheerful or gloomy, trusting or suspicious, friendly or reserved, brave or timid, and so on and so on. That's called a life stance. Now, life deals people many blows. We know that. But people with a positive life stance learn to distinguish between, and you got to hear this now, damage to themselves and damage to their perception of themselves. They view damage to themselves as a normal and inevitable consequence of living. It can sometimes be contained by the appropriate exercise of caution, but it is never entirely within our control. Whether they experience damage to their perception of themselves, however, is a situation within their control. As uh, Eleanor Roosevelt so eloquently expressed it, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So there's a difference between knowing life can be hard, life can be difficult, life can be unfair, that's the circumstance of life, but how other people make me feel and my perception of that has more to do with me than with them. Amen, Annie. Have you ever been called names? Have people ever said things about you? Have people ever write letters about you? I have a few of those on my wall. Uh, uh, the reality is this, is that how, how you take that and how you frame that and how you allow that, how you allow that to affect who you are and what you are, that's a decision you make. Nobody can make me feel any way. I choose to feel the way I feel and respond the way I respond. That is a choice I make. Now, Jesus is clear about the question is, are we willing to practice it, especially when it is not convenient or easy? Here's the very important principle. You cannot have a consistent, cheerful exterior with a gloomy interior. Okay, listen to how the Proverbs writer puts this in Proverbs 13 verse 12. He says this, hope deferred makes the heart what? Say it again. Say, hope deferred makes my heart sick. So hope, de- hope defers, like, ah, there's no hope for this. And, and what happens is we get a sick heart. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So here's the question then. What, what principles do we need to apply to, to cheer up and, and live out this greatest lifestyle? There are so many, but I'm going to try to give you four, and I'm going to try to do it real quick. Uh, I know we're not supposed to hurry, and we're supposed to slow down. But I, I want you to write these because I believe it's really going to help you. How to cheer up despite our trouble. Again, this is very familiar to us, but sometimes we need to be reminded of it. Here they are. Number one, here's the first one. Write this in. Get rid of emotional garbage. Get rid of emotional garbage. 
When you talk about joy, you have to go to the book of uh, uh, Philippians. It's a little short book in the New Testament, only four chapters long. But 16 times in 14 chapters, Paul says, rejoice, be joyful, and enjoy life. 16 times he uses the word joy in just four very short chapters. Now, the amazing thing is, Paul did not write this book when he was in vacation on the Caribbean. He was not on a Greek isle. Are you with me? He was in prison in a dungeon in Rome waiting to be executed. In the darkest days of his life, he writes the most positive book in the Bible. That just proves to you what I'm telling you. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. All right. Now, life, life has its way. Life, life is a journey. And we understand that there are, uh, are some things we need to carry. And there are other things we don't need to carry at all. And, and what we have to do, the problem with life journey is that we pick up stuff along the way that hinders us and don't help us at all. And one of the greatest areas we pick up baggage is in our relationships, is how we relate to one another. Somebody does something, says something, acts in a certain way, and suddenly we pick up an offense. We pick up a, 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 an attitude towards them, and, and you know, instead of working through it, we don't. This happens a lot within relationships, and, kind of, and there's a relationship breakdown within our lives. It kind of reminds me of um, uh, the story that I read a while ago. There was a battle that arose between the pastor and the choir director and, uh, at uh, some church. And uh, the first hint of trouble came when the pastor preached on dedicating yourselves to service. And the choir director chose the song, I Shall Not Be Moved. Uh, trying to believe that it was a coincidence, the pastor put the incident behind him. And the next Sunday, he preached on giving. And afterwards, the choir uh, squirmed as the director led them in the hymn, Jesus paid it all. Now, by this time, the pastor was kind of losing it and kind of losing his temper. So Sunday morning attendance swelled as the tension between these two started building up. A large crowd showed up the next week to hear his sermon on the sins of gossiping. And would you believe the choir director selected the song, I Love to Tell the Story. Now, there was no turning back. The following Sunday, the pastor told the congregation that unless something changed, he was considering resigning. The entire church gasped when the choir director led them in the song, Why Not Tonight? <laughs> and truthfully, no one was surprised when the pastor resigned a week later, explaining that Jesus led him there and Jesus was leading him away. And the choir director chose the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. How many of you know sometimes what it is, and, 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 and we think we can hide it from God, but you cannot hide when you have ought against somebody else. So it might be just a wise thing to stop long enough and to get rid of the kind of emotional cargo that we carry, the garbage that we collect over time and that we find our way, we justify to keep it. And sometimes we use this emotional ammunition against someone else. We, here's what we have to do. We have to jettison the things that hinder our relationship. Jettison means to, we have to throw them overboard. Whether it's an airplane that's trying to lighten its load by throwing off cargo or even a ship to stay afloat. To abandon as worthless, to disregard, to eliminate, to get rid of. You've got to toss some things. And if you want to enjoy life, there are some things that you've got to get rid of. And there are some things you've got to throw away. There are some things you've got to toss overboard in life. Otherwise, you're going to carry that stuff, and that stuff will affect you. And the first thing he says to do that is that you cannot hold a grudge. 
Hello, somebody. Now, before we read Philippians 4.4, 4, there's a great verse in verse 2, if you're not aware of it. Listen to what he, he talks about. He's actually talking and addressing it to two very specific people. Watch this. Philippians 4 verse 2. I urge Yodia and Syntyche to iron out their differences and make up. Now, how many of you know, for the Apostle Paul to put it in his letter, these two girls had to be going at it. I mean, there had, to be, there had to be some things between them, and they were going at it, and, and, and Paul had said, hey, listen, we can't have that. I mean, you both are blessing. You both are here in service. You, you just cannot do that. You've got to iron this stuff out. You've got to make up. You've got to make up. Watch this. God doesn't want his children holding what? Grudges. Now, these two women were co-workers in the church, and Paul writes to them about being willing to let go of whatever they felt they had against one another, to let go of the grudge. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, how many of you know, for God to preserve this for us in the Bible, I wonder how Yodi and Seneca feel in heaven right now. I mean, they're probably like, hey, we're in the Bible, maybe not for a good reason. It's kind of the story, and you've heard this before, Sir Arthur Doyle, who wrote a Sherlock Holmes series, decided to play a prank on some very prominent people in England. So he sent an anonymous note to eight prominent men in England that said this. This is what the note said. All is found out, flee at once. And he just wanted to see what would happen. And within 24 hours, all eight men had left the country. Now, we have to purpose to keep things right, but especially to keep things right between us. Are are you with me, somebody? Now, life is really very simple. It is. But... To keep it that way is very difficult, and that is where the complexity of life comes in. A recent survey indicates that people with emotional problems and challenges are uh, way more likely to have automobile accidents than those who do not. An alarming factor revealed by the study was that one out of every five victims of fatal accidents have had a quarrel with somebody within six hours before the accident. Now, in a study, and this is a recent study, in a study by Virginia Tech Transportation Institute, they found that driving while sad is far more likely to result in a crash than being tired or even using a mobile phone. Now, many motorways now have display signs where it kind of warns motorists and say, pull over when you're feeling tired. But new research suggests that a healthy emotional state is far more important for safe driving. Feeling sad, angry, or agitated behind the wheel raises the risk of an accident by nearly 10 times. In contrast, fatigue makes a crash three times more likely, while talking on a mobile phone doubles the risk. Now, I'm not saying talking on a mobile phone, your risk is less. What I'm saying is that we've known for years that driver-related factors exist in high percentages of the crashes, but this is the first time that we have been able to definitively determine the extent to which such factors do contribute to crashes. Uh, Dr. Tom Dingus, I I like his name, Dingus, getting a ding. But anyway, the lead author of the study, uh, of Virginia Tech study, said this, driving while observably angry, sad, crying, or emotionally agitated increases the risk of a crash by 9.8 times compared with model driving. The only thing that is worse is driving under the influence of a substance. Now, when you drive and you're not emotionally together, then guess what? You are driving under emotional substance. 
We have to understand this, that, and we have to explain that, that, that two doctors wrote a great book on, on, on the, the secret of happiness, and that happiness is a choice, and they concluded these words saying that pent-up anger is probably the leading cause of death, pent-up anger. Now, do you understand why it is so important for your emotional health and for your joy to get rid of the, some of the stuff that you carry against other people? You just got to toss it. It's no, listen to me, it's not healthy to carry it. Look at verse 5. Uh, are you still with me? Watch this. Let everyone see that you're what? Considerate in some of the things you do. Why? Remember the Lord is coming soon. A chip on the shoulder can be a very heavy load. And a chip on the shoulder is an indication of wood higher up. You're a woodhead, Okay. You know, we've got to understand this. We've got, there's some things in life that's not worth carrying, and one of it is the emotional garbage that we carry. And the fact that we have things and ought against one another, because we expect, what is amazing to me, we expect perfection from others, but we expect grace for ourselves. So we can, when it comes to us, we say, oh, but you don't understand. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just human. I make mistakes. But when it comes to somebody else, well, you know what? They ought to know better. Why does others have to know better and you give yourself grace? Amen, Annie. I don't like it, but it is true. Uh, are you still with me? How many of you want joy in your life? Then get rid of the emotional garbage. Don't you neighbor look at them and say, I'm about to dump my garbage. Not on them, though. Let me just say this. Writing things on Facebook is not new therapy. Are you with me? Come on now. As Christians, we ought to be a little bit more mature. No matter who does what. I don't care who they are, what, 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 what they hold, but we have to. We, listen, wisdom is not saying everything you feel and everything you know. Wisdom has the ability to control. And it takes a wise person. The wiser person knows how to keep their tongue under control. Just because you're able to say it and just because you're right doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. You, you, you might be absolutely right. How many of you know that a lot of times you are right? I know all the time I'm right. But the reality is that maturity says, hey, even though I have the right information, am I going to use this as ammunition against somebody else and blow them out of the water? Or am I going to say, you know what, I'm going to give them grace and I'd rather pray for them that God would do something in their life than me writing something that's going to cause a continual hurt and a continual grudge. And now, listen, God has called us to build bridges, not walls. I should have a much better amen in this Presbyterian church, but that's okay. Are you ready for the second thing? So what's number one? No, 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 no. Okay. Number two, desire the best for others. Desire the best for others. Again, we'll find this in Philippians. Paul's in prison, and even in prison, here's what he does. He's thinking about others. Uh, I don't know. If I'm in prison, I don't think I'm be thinking about others. I'm going to be bemoaning my own situation. But look at this. He says this. My dear, dear friends, Philippians 4.1, I love you so much. And notice the next phrase. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. Fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Steady in God. Paul's joy was the people he had invested his life in. His joy was the people he cared about, that he led to Christ, that he'd helped grow. He says, you are my joy. Uh, guess which one had the joy? Paul, because Paul was using his life to help and appreciate others because he truly wanted the best for them. 
Is it not true that when we feel underappreciated, we lose our joy? Let me put it to you like this. It is not just the actual lack of appreciation. It could just be our perception that we are not appreciated. And that can cause us to have a warped perspective and a major lack of joy. You know, maybe it's not, you're not being underappreciated, but you just feel you're being underappreciated. And because you feel you're being underappreciated, there goes your joy. I mean, uh, we see this happen in life all the time. A mother had, you know, watched her son go through really a tough week and drain his energy. And, and by the end of the week, he had simply lost his desire to get up and, and start his day. And so uh, she heard his alarm go off through the door and, and she listened. And, and it, about, you know, nine minutes later, he hit the snooze button again. The alarm went off again and again and again. And he kept on punching the, the snooze button on top of the alarm. And so finally, after about, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of this, she got up and she decided to go to his room and say, hey, come on now, you know, get with life. And she came in and said, son, it's time to get up. You have to, you have to get up and you have to go. And he peeked from underneath the blanket and said, you know, no, I don't want it. He says, can you, mom, can you give me three good reasons why I have to get up? She said, yes. Well, first of all, it is Sunday and you need to get dressed for church. Secondly, you are 45 years old and you know better than this. And thirdly, you are the pastor of the church and they expect you to be there. I mean, you know, sometimes even the perception of of not being appreciated can, can really rob us of our joy can take away the joy out of our lives. So the question is, if you desire the best for others, how do you do it? How do we practically live this out? There are two truths I want to give you real quick. The first one is, take the high road. Now let me tell you something. When you take the high road, it is very open. As a matter of fact, let me put it like this. There's not a lot of traffic on the high road. There's no traffic jams on the high road. It's a road less traveled by people. Why? Because here's why. Can I tell you why? Let me tell you why. Because it requires thinking and doing things that are not natural or common. However, those who travel this road become instruments of grace to others and recipients of grace for themselves. So how do you take the high road? It all depends on what you are focused on. As you know, life is filled with ups and downs, and we have mountains, and we have valleys, and we have winds, and we have losses, we have good times, and we have bad times, we have challenging times, we have healthy times, and not so healthy times, and you can walk around and looking at life, and look at all the bad things, and look at people, and and see all the bad they do, and just see the bad without ever seeing the good. It's your choice. You're looking at life, you know the old saying, look at it at the cup half empty or half full. It's your choice, and every day you are making that choice. Every day it's a choice. Why? Because you choose what you are going to focus on. You choose what you're going to think about. Nobody else controls your thoughts but you. Look at Philippians, what it says in in verse 4. You know this, this great verse. Summing it all up, friends. I'd say you do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst. Isn't that a mouthful? The beautiful, not the U-G-L-Y ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Now, how many of you know we can all find things that are not true? We can all find things to focus on that are not noble, especially in our society. We can all find things that are not reputable. We can all find things that are absolutely non-authentic, things that are non-compelling, things that are so ungracious, that the worst, not the best. 
the ugly in life, things that, are, that, that we just want to curse. Now, notice what he says. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that. Somebody say, do that. No, say it out loud. No, no, no. Say it like you mean it. Do that. Do what? Do all the good thinking. Do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work it into his most excellent harmonies. You can't always rely on perfect circumstances. Why? Because they don't exist this side of heaven. But there's one place you can count on, and that's God's Word. The more you fill your mind with this book, the more positive and joyful you're going to be. This is true. This is right. This is admirable. This is worthy. This is of value. You know, if, if, if fill your mind every day, not with all the junk. Stop watching some of the shows you are watching. That is an IQ test. If you are just watching news networks, you're going to be negative. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. You're going to be depressed. Come on, somebody. Paul had every reason to be depressed. He had every reason to be down. Every reason to have a pretty party. Even when he was in prison, he had every reason to be bitter. Every reason to complain. All his friends had left him. He's now old. He's in prison. He's being unjustly accused. He's about to be executed. While he was in prison, Christians actually turned against him. How many of you know, if the apostle Paul can get criticized, who do I think I am? Come on now. And he was being attacked incessantly. He was criticized unjustly. Now watch what he says in, this, in the NLT. I love this. He says, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Somebody say fix. fix. What does that mean? It means focus your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. L- look at this next phrase. Think about How many of you know you got to think about what you're thinking about? If you don't think about what you're thinking about, your life is thoughtless. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, I'm going to put this as kindly as I can because this is a positive message, okay? Uh, There's no way to take the high road with others if you are continually filled with negative thoughts about them. You cannot take the high road with another individual when the only thought you have about them is a negative thought. It's not possible. You can't do it. I can't do it, Captain. My thoughts are breaking up. You see, if you only see the, that which is wrong and not what they could be, then taking the high roads toward them is very unlikely, and I would go as far to say it is impossible. I love what somebody said because I believe this is true. Remember this. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Should I say that again? Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So if you want to know where you're going to end up, check your mind. Because it's an indicator of where you're going to be. If, if, if you know that what you're thinking about people is negative, then you, I'm telling you, there's no way you can have a positive relationship with somebody when you have continual negative thinking about them. It's not possible. If you want to take the high road, you've got to focus your thoughts. You've got to fix your thoughts on that which is good. Now, even, you say, but Henry, you don't understand. You know, he, you know, he or she is acting like a nincompoop. Yes, that's their behavior, but trust God for their potential. So that's why you pray for others. 
The Bible says that when you see a brother is committing a sin that's not unto death, maybe they're just irritating you, yeah, then, then pray for them. How many of you know it's very difficult to, to speak negative of people you're always praying for? Oh, man, I need to be encouraged. Thank you, Henny. That's good. The second principle in this, take the high road. Can anybody remember what we're talking about? Uh, no, 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 I'm not talking about the overall. We said number one, you have to what? Get rid of emotional garbage. Number two, desire the best for others. We're talking about de- de- desiring the best for others. And we said number one, you've got to take the high road. Number two, very important. Watch out for criticism or being a critic. Now, I, I don't have time to balance it between constructive criticism. I'm not even talking about that. Very few things take our joy away more quickly than criticism. Just let somebody say something about how you look or about what you said or make a judgment against you. Immediately you lose your joy. What do you want to do? You want to retaliate. You want to get even. You want to criticize back. Well, bless God. You say that about me. Well, let me tell you a few things about you. You missed it. You think you, you're so hot and happening. Let me just explain it. I'm going to give you the real story, not your version of it. You see what happens when somebody says something, mm, and then we start stewing, and then what we want to do is we want to go after them, and then suddenly we have a revelation about them. No, not first service. I mean, you guys are just going to use this to help second service, right? And, and you start stewing in your mind. And listen to what Paul says. I don't have time for critics. He says, I've yielded myself to God's purpose. I'm focusing on what's good. The last thing I'm going to do is to let some stupid critic rob me of my joy. He says, I'm just not going to allow people to take away the joy in my life. I'm just not going to allow that. The reciprocity principle says, over time, people come to share reciprocally similar attitudes towards each other. It just just so happens because we always think we are right. We always have our perspective and we always think we're right. And we've got to be very careful when we think negative or, you know, say, well, I'm right and you're wrong. Kind of remind me of the true story of the two preachers that were driving down the road. And they were on their way to a preacher's convention. And one of them was white and one of them was black. And uh, the white guy says, you know what? I've been meditating about this and I really think uh, that God is white. And uh, the, the black preacher looked at him and said, man, you're out of your mind. You're telling me that God, you know, God is white. Let me tell you, God is black because God created the most beautiful people and they're all over Africa and black people are the best. And therefore, I know that God is black. And they were in a heated argument and about this going back and forth, back and forth. And just like we talked about, you know, being an emotional issue, they got in an accident and both of them died immediately. True story, by the way. They arrived in heaven and... Uh, as they got there, you know, they were so happy to be in heaven. I mean, it was just beautiful. I mean, they look and they were looking at one another and high-fiving one. It's like, man, this is awesome. We finally made it. This is what we've been talking about. And, and uh, they suddenly heard the angels and they saw the seraphim. And they're like, oh, man, just a, we're going to see God. This is awesome. And suddenly they realized, hey, we're going to go see God. And they're like, are we going to find out who's right? And just as they came around the corner, God was there, and he looked at them, and he greeted them, and said, Buenos dias, mi amigos. You get it? Sometimes we think we're always 
so right. And we just, we have to chill on the criticism. We need to understand that people are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness makes you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. People favor underdogs but follow only the top dogs. Fight for some underdog anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help but may attack you if you help them. But help people anyway. Give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you got anyway. That's the way to take the high road. That's the way to understand it. The reason why you're unhappy a lot of times is because you get too concerned about trivial issues. The reason you lose your joy so rapidly is that you don't focus on that which really matters and you allow unimportant things to upset you. I mean, how many arguments in your family are really over major issues? Isn't it true that a lot of the conflict in our life, a lot of the killjoys in our life are over inconsequential things that aren't going to matter 30 days, 30 days or 30 minutes later? They're not going to matter. How about for eternity? Every time you get upset over an insignificant issue, you are letting the killjoys rob you of joy for a dumb reason. Focus on what is good. That's your choice. Every day you're making a choice. Am I going to be joyful or am I going to be stressed out? And Paul, Paul was joyful. Why? Because he was unselfish. He invested his life in others. If you want to have continuous joy in your life, here's the secret. Think about others. Give your life away helping others. Stop focusing on your problems and aches and pains and start focusing on helping others. Become other people-minded. The more you give your life away, Jesus said, the more you find it, the more unselfish you become, the more joyful a person you're going to be, the more self-centered you are, the more miserable, cranky, self-piteous type of person you are going to be. Because you always think about yourself first. Look at Philippians 1.22. I know I was not going to get a lot of amens there, but that's fine. Watch this, what Paul says. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Wow. Paul says, listen, man, I'm old. I'm I'm tired. I'm ready to go to heaven. I mean, I've done what I feel. But he says, you know what? Nevertheless, I know that if I die, I win. If I stay, you win. So guess what? I'm going to let you win. Wow. He says, for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow. He does not talk about, well, you know, you need to understand that, you know, I feel, you know, because I'm so important. No. He says, hey, I'm just going to be there to what? To feel your growth. He says, this is for your benefit, not, not mine. This is for you. I'm convinced about this. And grow and experience the joy of your faith. I love verse 26 out of the message. It says, you can start looking forward to a great reunion when I come visit you again. We'll be praising Christ. Now listen to these next three words. Enjoying each other. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you enjoyed the people in your life instead of just endured them? 
God, thank you for placing some people in my life. Thank you for these people. Thank you that I have people in my life that love me. Even sometimes some of this is weird, but I love them and they love me. I mean, how, how could death possibly be a benefit to Paul? Because he knew where he was going. He was a friend of God. Paul says, either way, I win. On earth, my purpose is to live for God. And when I die, I get to be with God. He had a purpose for living and he had a purpose for dying. You cannot get a man down like that. How can you get a man down? You know, that's his secret of joy. A purpose for living, a purpose for dying. If you don't have a purpose for living and you don't have a purpose for dying, you will not be able to live a purposeful life and you'll just kind of drift through life and everything will lead you to shipwreck instead of getting to you where God wants you to be. Do you have a purpose for living? Do you have a purpose for dying? If you don't, it's no wonder that you don't have any joy in your life. There's a reason when you get up in the morning that you know, man, my life is purposeful. This is not just kind of, I'm just, you know, staying alive. Ah, 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 staying alive. No, it's more than that. I'm living a life of purpose. When I take a shower in the morning and, I, and I'm in there, and I'm thanking God for a great day. And I'm thanking God for the beautiful, nice, cool water, you know, on my body. And I'm some, some nice, smelly soaps that my wife bought at Bed and Bath Works or whatever, Bed and Body and whatever it is. You know, Bath and Body Works. It's working. And I'm just foaming and I'm just singing. The, and I just sense God's goodness. And you know why? Because I was a missionary and I had to take shower, cold showers in the dead of winter. And you, he's like, yes. <laughs> I mean, you really praise God. I mean, you're talking about short showers. I remember those days. I just turn on the faucet and the water's just pouring out and it's nice and warm and I can sing in there and sing a hallelujah and just worship God. I mean, are you kidding me? I just win by taking a shower every morning. How in the world can I start a day negative when I know, hey, I got a purpose. I got somewhere to go and I got people to go there with. It's a purpose. Somebody to help, somebody to invest in, somebody to bless, somebody to give to, somebody to pray for, somebody to lift up. How can you, how can you be mad or sad? Why would all the critics that come and go, they are going to come, they are going to go. Let me tell you something about your critics. Outlove them and outlast them. If they call you a name or say you're like this or say you're like that, then what you decide, say, you know what, I'm just going to live for God and I'm going to let my life speak louder than anything else because I'm going to finish and I'm going to finish well. I have no time to finish this message. So I'm not. So all you phlegmatics that are just hoping that I would fill out the next... You have already worried all the way through the sermon. And you're like, oh my, he's not going to get it done. Come on, speed up. There's two more points. Fill it out, fill it out, fill it out. It's a test for you. Gives you something to criticize on your way out. Hello? I'm not gonna, should I give it to you? <laughs> no. You know what? This is a test. I'm not giving it. It's another sermon. I'll preach another time. I mean, I prepared it. Yeah. And it's on the app if you really want the, the fill out. So if you don't have the app, download the app so you can have the notes. 
What are you going to decide? You're going to take the high road? Are you going to take the high road or are you going to just kind of sloth for life? You're going to decide, hey, I'm going to do things God's way or you're going to do it your way. What's going to be your life stance? You know, even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your difficulty, I'm not saying life is always great and grand. I'm saying that Jesus said, even in the midst of that, I can cheer up. I can have his goodness and his joy and his peace. And that produces a joy in my life that allows me to see him for who he is and see me for who I am and see others as valuable and precious in his sight. It doesn't mean people don't get on my nerves. It doesn't mean people don't do the wrong things. It doesn't mean that I cannot constructively speak into people's lives. I think all those things are relevant. But what it is, I don't focus on the negative. I focus on what they can become. And when we do that, there's something about life that just makes it good. Let's bow our heads this morning.